turn my mic on. It works better. Chapter 6 of Mark. Uh, we're moving right along, aren't we? It uh, seems like we just started this series, and here we are on the 12th sermon and going along quite well. Uh, uh, again, as I said at the, the welcome, we're, why do we come to Scripture? Why do we do this in the middle of our worship services? You guys are singing really well, and then I come up here, and it just kind of messes it all up, right? You just get like, what's he doing? But this is the idea. This is how we, one of the main ways to get to know God is through his word. That's what you should come to this for. And then within Mark itself, we are actually looking at who is Jesus, which is the most important question that you can ask. And uh, hopefully, even more importantly, you answer it correctly. Um, again, the sufficiency of scripture um, is something that uh, an evangelical free church will always lift up that we don't need more. Uh, we need to understand what we have, and that is sufficient. There are other ways to get to know God, uh, but this kind of sets at least sequentially primary. I, and I mean that it's not obviously Jesus is the best way to know God. Uh, the Spirit is a, a very good way to know God. Praying, worshiping, those are all great ways to know God. But again, how do you know how to pray? How do you know who Jesus is? How do you know what worship best pleases God unless you read it in his word. So it does kind of come first in a sequential way. So we have Jesus here. We're trying to figure out with the apostles, with the, the disciples, who exactly he is. And that's really what the Gospels are for, is trying to tell us who he is. And what we find out when we read this is that we, we get to know him better and better. And we're not, don't try to exhaust who Jesus is by reading this. You can get the right ideas and the right doctrine or teaching of who he is. But this is a person. This is not somebody we just get to know who he is and so we can write a little resume or something. It's, it's the idea this is something now you, now you get to relate to him, and that's what we continue to do. So we're in his hometown here in the first uh, six verses of chapter 6. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joses and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. So this is Nazareth, the place he grew up. Um, we really have no information at all biblically about how that went. I mean, I've seen the movies, and I'm, I'm not saying they're wrong. It's just we just don't know. You know, you just have to kind of try to fill in the blanks. So how do we, how do these movies do it? Or how do we, if you read novels about it or whatever, well, these are assumptions that come from historical evidence and cultural norms. And when we kind of, what did a, somebody who grew up in Nazareth in the first century, what, how would that have gone? Uh, we do the best we can. Uh, but you notice the Gospels are just really silent. We get one little 12-year-old thing that's not even Nazareth. Um, you know, we don't, he doesn't say much at Christmas time. Uh, in fact, if the, if the, if the uh, carol is ready, he doesn't even cry, you know. No crying he makes. 
I think that's probably not true. But anyway, we don't know anything about. So again, if we're saying Scripture is sufficient, this information is not essential. I mean, I want to know. I, I, I think I'll maybe ask that when I die. I don't think it'll probably be the first thing I ask. But it's on my list. I have a weird bucket list. I've got all these questions I want to ask later. Uh, and I, I, I'm part of me kind of thinks he's going to say, uh, Brian, you know, that's really not essential. You're just kind of being annoying, but get in here. <laughs> and maybe we won't care. I, I don't know. But those things are, I, I think it's okay to talk about maybe what happened. But we get, we get how would we come up with this? Well, look at the way how these people saw him in Nazareth. They appear surprised that he has such great teaching ability. Which, you know, you, implication would be that he must not have done a lot of teaching before that. Um, and the miracles, you know, it, it, he's going to talk about them a, a little. They're, they're, they're kind of surprised. You know, and, you know is this, isn't just, this is just that Mary's Jesus, right? I mean, he was, he was an okay boy, but where's he getting this stuff from? So it makes us wonder, and, and I think, I suppose if you had to make a case, how certain you are is, is probably not as important as just trying to make one. He, his childhood must have been not that, what's the right word? Wonderful? <laughs> Powerful? Uh, memorable? Uh, so that's about all we can do with it. Which, you know, it doesn't really make any difference what his childhood was like. We get his, his ministry is what matters. So up to this point, and not only do they, it's, it, it gets worse, it seems like. They take offense at him. That's one thing to say, well, yeah, this guy wasn't very good, but hey, let's listen. No, there's, they're taking offense at him. Now, that's in our culture, isn't it? I'm, I'm probably before the end of the sermon, somebody's going to be offended. There's a difference between giving offense and taking offense. I think when we talk, I, think, I don't think Jesus was ever trying to give offense to someone or be offensive. But some people will take it that way. Um, I sometimes wonder if I've ever really been offended. It seems like so strong. You know, upset, annoyed. I don't, you know, offend, that's really cut into the heart, you know. It's just, but again, a lot of people are looking for offense. Maybe these people were too, I don't know. But what did they take offense at? That he was teaching without formal training? He wasn't old enough to really be in the formal training yet. That thinking he was a prophet, because he did say he was a prophet, oh, that might tick people off. Or, that he wasn't, and the word is tecton, we, we've translated that carpenter, but he might have been any type of builder, we don't know. Could have been a stonemason, could have been a, heck, he could have been a contractor of some sort. We don't, don't quite know. Carpenter's fine. I, I, I think that may be it. But why would that be offensive? Well, that's what you usually did. If your dad's a carpenter, then you're a carpenter. But he's going off and doing this itinerant preaching thing, you know. Who does this guy think he is? You know, I always, there's a lot of good theological jokes, none of which I'll tell now, uh, about who Jesus is. I, I think, isn't that the key here? They're trying to figure out who he is. 
And we get to be there with the apostles, with the, and, and we learn a little bit about him. It gives a list of all of his brothers. That's kind of cool. You know, we look at the New Testament, you know, as I told the, the, uh, the kids, this is apostolic authority. This is what we see, and in, in almost all churches see it. This is, this is your apostolic authority. Is that's why we don't have apostles anymore. I'm, I'm not, I know there are some churches that have apostles, and that may be because they use the word in a different way than this, but in my opinion, and I think that would be clear in, in E-free doctrine, you know, we don't need, if we don't need more apostles. Because what, what, if we need more apostles, then apparently the ones we had weren't sufficient. Or if you need more revelation, then what you have is not sufficient. And that's one of the things that we believe is the sufficiency of Scripture. Like I said, the other one, and this is a kind of a fun word. You know, it's always nice to learn new vocabulary, I guess. This is the word that we don't use very Perspicuity. Have you heard that one word before? It's kind of a goofy word. Um, this means clarity. We believe in the perspicuity of Scripture, which means we can get the clarity out of it. It's not always easy. And some people will be clear on this side, <laughs> you know, will be clear on this side. And obviously they both can't be right, but we try to do the best we can. Again, if God revealed himself in the words of the apostles and their associates, would it not make sense that the words would be understandable? Uh, and sometimes we take them in, in, in wrong directions, but... So we have his brothers here. They're all named. Two of them wrote a book that we have in your New Testament. I don't know. James is not written by Jam John's brother. That's been by Jesus' brother, or, or half-brother, however you want to go with that. Um, it's a little unique. They kind of technically had different dads, <laughs> as that goes. Um, and then we also have that he had sisters, which is plural, so at the very least, this is a family of seven kids, right? Because you've got four brothers, you get Jesus, that's five, if I'm doing my math right. And you've got at least two sisters because it's plural. I might, there might be 14 sisters, I don't know. I'm, uh, probably not, but, but they're, not, they're not named. I, that's a whole other rabbit trail I just thought of. But maybe think about that today if you're bored. Uh, <laughs> We never hear about his sisters. We, we actually never really hear about Joseph and Simon either. But James wrote the book. He becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church. You'll see that in Acts. Jude wrote the book of Jude, and I think his name's Judas, but you can do the math of why we kind of just call him Jude. <laughs> just like there's not a lot of Adolphs around anymore. Or Benedicts, you know, they tend to have caused problems with those names. But you have these people who don't even believe in him. And he uses, the only thing he says in this text is a prophet is not without or except in his hometown. And, and it's, in, I mean, this, the, when he says things like these are more proverbial, there may be some people, I mean, his mom probably still liked him, um, right? Who would think so. Seems like throughout there, Mary kind of hangs in there pretty well. She's at the cross. But most people di didn't, didn't accept him uh, because they knew him too well. Sometimes it's, we do that with uh, our family sometimes. We do that with sports teams. You worry about your own team so much because you know it so well that you see the problems. And, and I think 
even though Jesus, I'm guessing, didn't have any problems, they found some anyway. Right? He thinks he's a prophet, which is really bad unless you are one. <laughs> and so they're trying to figure out who he is. But the thing is, his brothers didn't believe him. We get this in John 7, uh, and it's kind of clear, for he, not even his brothers believed in him. So there's not a lot of, I don't think there's a lot of different ways to interpret that scripture. <laughs> and it's talking about his hometown brothers there. It's not just friends or things like that. So we have this situation, and I think it helps us try to understand. Because, you know, there wasn't apparently anything in his upbringing that they would say, well, this is, they don't know who he is. And if you read the first part of John 7, not only don't they believe in him, they're kind of snarling about it, sarcastic. We know from 1 Corinthians 15, which has that appearance of the different appearances he had after he was resurrected, that James got one. And we think, piecing it together, that that's when James finally believed. Can you imagine that? That's a whole other sermon, which we don't have time for. But... Um, you're James, you grew up with this guy, they end up killing him, which, you know, you probably weren't happy about. And then a few days later, he shows up, kind of glowing and stuff. Uh, and it's interesting, when you read James and you read Jude, they never call him brother. Not that he's not, but they are, he's just a lot more than my brother. <laughs> yeah, saved by grace. And he could do no work there. That's what, you know, that's what it says. And you have to, and this appears to be because of their unbelief. You know, they didn't believe who he was. Now, you can take this in two different ways. And it can't be both. It has to be one or the other. And I'll certainly give you what I think. Uh, but the first one, but he just couldn't work miracles without people having faith. Now, that's out there, right? In fact, there's a, there's a theological belief that's fairly popular in, in uh, definitely in America and in and, and some parts of Europe that the only way that God can do a miracle in your life is if you speak the words and give him the power. That, think about that for a minute. So who's in charge? You are. That's a problem. I've read most of this. In fact, I think I've read it all. And when we're in charge, things seem to get problematic when it's all about us, no matter what culture you're in, whether you're Israel or Judah or the United Kingdom or America. If you're going to do it on your own and it's not endowed by our Creator, things start to get really weird and really ungodly fast. And so... Why couldn't he do work? That's one option. Certainly could mean that, that he's just impotent because we're not giving him the power. The other option is that Jesus chooses not to work miracles if there's not an active, if there's active unbelief. Active unbelief. Uh, and, and that's, I want it put that way. Well, I, I think given the, it's, it's interesting, he didn't do any miracles. Full stop. Except the ones he did. like those instructions that say, you know, that you're supposed to do something and, you know, put the, put the lasagna in the oven and turn it to 450 and do it and start cooking it. But before you do that, I'm like, oh, why didn't you tell me that in the other one? You know, and this is kind of the way this is worded. He couldn't do any miracles except for the ones he did. 
So obviously we know that he did some. So I think the accept there, and the rest of the New Testament, I think if we read it, and that's what you always want to do when you're trying to understand the clarity of Scripture, it's not just this. Yes, we want to understand the context here, but this is the only place that miracles are talked about in the Bible, or having faith is talked about in the Bible, so should we look at all of it? So really it comes down to, did Jesus just couldn't do it? He wanted to, but he couldn't, or he chose not to because of their unbelief. It seems to me that the second one makes a lot more sense. Um, and that I don't think that a belief that God needs us to say stuff for him to do things. I mean, I, I don't think, what, and, and you look at that. In Mark's gospel, Jesus works through and with people that are very faithful. And he works through people and heals people that don't even know who he is. No current trust in him. You see that throughout the gospels, actually. I mean, the guy at the pool didn't even know who he was. Who healed you? Oh, but it worked. You know, so it's, it, 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 you do that, and I've, I've done that. I did that. We did that when I was in the semi. I did the things you did. I went through every miracle in all of the Gospels and then wrote down what was common to all of them. And you just keep getting a longer and longer list. It's like, let's figure out how to do these miracle things. It just, it's just so hard. You just thought, well, I've got it. Well, no, that one doesn't fit. I'll take that one. And pretty, it's, it's, it just kind of, it really comes down to this, and I think this is real deep, but you guys will understand it. Jesus does miracles when he wants to. I, that one I think is right. Not when we, we think we give him the power to do it. I mean, it's just silly. Who the heck are you? You know, I don't know when it's time to give one and when it's not. I do think he never works through or with those who reject him, and that's what's happening here. I think that's what that's talking about. I'm not going to do it if you reject me. The one at the pool of Bethesda, he, he didn't even know who he was. He wouldn't reject him. He didn't know him. So that hopefully helps us with, again, do, if you have a theology where we're the one that has the authority and Jesus doesn't, it's probably wrong. And people can just, there's a perfect example. You know, I'm sure there's probably somebody preaching this morning that has the exact opposite belief. Well, either they're right or I'm right. We both can't be right. And I don't know if you knew this, I think I'm right. Because <laughs> if I didn't, I wouldn't be saying it. <laughs> and you can have a completely different view if you want. That's fine, but let's at least go back and see if it makes sense. So then, verses 7 through 12, we, uh, we get the, the 12 sent out, and this we get uh, some more information about this. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This kind of sets in the middle. You know, you just got these guys called, it doesn't seem like that long ago in, in Mark. And now we're going out, he's giving them authority. Notice where the authority comes from. He gives them authority. There's a lot of conjecture, which we're not going to get into today, on how long they kept that authority. 
it looks like this is pretty much for this trip at this point. Not that they might not have it in other places, but it just seems kind of, because we find times when they don't seem to have it anymore <laughs> in the Gospels. But he sends them out. Now, this is the word. It's the Greek word apostello. That's what apostello, ap apostle means one who is sent out. And, you know, it's not just somebody who goes to get the pizza. I mean, that, I mean, you could use that in Greek, but that's not the point. They're sent out by God with authority. And so that's what we have. These guys are apostles. And what we do in theology is we use the big A, big, uh, big A apostle, meaning there's 12 of those guys. Well, then there becomes 11, then goes back to 12. And then maybe 13 and probably 14, but no more than that. Um, Paul would be the other one that kind of, and then, of course, Judas kind of messed things up. You can read about that if you want. Um, and he gets out, and then we get Matthias back in there in, in Acts 1. But these guys are limited, I mean, as far as how many there are. And I thought the kids did great, you know. Why don't we go talk to the apostles and see what Jesus did? They're eyewitnesses. I love the way kids do it. They're dead. <laughs> Duh. Well, that's a stupid question. Yeah, I think that's it. But this is why we believe the New Testament, because we don't need more apostles. Because, again, if you have more apostles, it means, again, they'd have to have an eyewitness testimony of Jesus, wouldn't they? That's what did it. They'd had to be sent out by Jesus. And it seems like they would have to have information about Jesus that we don't already have because otherwise what we have is sufficient. So there's good reasons not to believe in big A. Now there's other, I know there's a few churches. I know when I was in Austin, there was a couple that were called apostolic, but that was just, we're, we're sending out, for, it's almost another word for a disciple there. And that's okay, that's okay. I don't have any problem with that because that's really what it means. But he gives them authority, right? And you have to remember that this is where context makes a difference. I mean, how many here are wearing two tunics? How many here are wearing one tunic? How many here know what tunic means? You know, it's a, this is for, okay? we're not gonna, this is, we have to put this in context. What's he talking about here? You know, don't take, you know, take your, no money for your belt, no bread, no bag. You know, you, you just take your staff, anybody bring their staff? Uh, you know, again, this is first century. It's the idea, what's the idea here? These are given directly to the 12. We're, we don't do this because we don't live in first century Palestine and we're not an apostle. Uh, but it still can be informative for us. We can understand it. Um, this has to do with the relation of their mission, what it means, what are we supposed to do. This doesn't fit in good context with some ministries out there where notice what they're not supposed to take with them, no, no money. And what's implied there is you're not supposed to ask for any either. You know, you know, I've never, you know, it's like we're going to heal people, but don't send any money. We'll be fine. Yeah. That's, uh, they're supposed to be kind of at uh, the disposal or the mercy of other people. What's their mission? Other people are going to have to provide for your needs. And what's in the background there? Does Jesus, is Jesus just saying, well, it might not work out. You might, you might starve to death. He seems to imply that, it, that, that you're going to find somebody. It's going to work out. You know, in 1 Timothy, it, it, he continues that. You know, Paul, when he's talking to Tim, who was a pastor, 
Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says you should not muzzle an ox and keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. In another place, those who work deserve their pay. So it's the, you know, that's setting up the church there. Um, but again, deserve your pay. You know, I'm still hoping you guys can up my salary so I can get that jet. Some of them have. I don't know what I'd do with the jet, but it'd be kind of fun. Maybe a Jetta would be enough. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, but again, you just give people a living wage. That's all he's really saying here. And so when he's going, you could actually go to Luke 10, and this is probably a summary of those five verses. He's saying, you know, each town you're going to have a two-person pair. And I, I think that's kind of cool. I don't know about you, but if I'm going out doing this stuff, I'd always like to have a bud with me. You know, it's kind of neat to, to do it that way. Um, and then you're going to find, and the term that's been used, in, in, and you get this from Luke, is a person of peace. Now, they may not be a believer, but they're open to your words. And what these did, and we can find this from uh, outside evidence, that they would go to these towns, not the apostles so much, but people who went out after that in the first, second, third century, and they do that. They'd go to these places, they'd find a place where somebody was receptive to the gospel, and those people would deal with their needs. They were open to it. But think about it. Is the Spirit working here? The Spirit's already working in the heart of that person. How do I know that? Well, you could ask them. Hey, do you know about Jesus? Well, no, I tell me. Well, something must be going on. And that's kind of what, now, did it always work? No, because he told them what to do when it didn't. There wasn't anybody in the town. But use that as a springboard. This is, we use this contemporary application too. If you go into a place, if you were going to try to reach a people group, even in Denison, go find somebody who wants to hear the gospel. They know who to go to next. Who are the people in your community that, that, are, that people will listen to? You see this when they go, in the, go to uh, certain tribes or places that haven't heard it. Who do you go to? The influencer. Sometimes that's the, the chief or what? Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just an older couple that people listen to. And so it's just, it's smart to do this, you know. So we can still use this person of peace because the, the implication here and then for us is that the Spirit's working already. If the Spirit's not working in this town and in these people, you can say it all you want. You can have the best sermons, the best music, the best everything, and they're still not going to listen to you. So it's, it's that in the background always. And then when you get rejected, Notice it's not if. <laughs> There's going to be people that do not like what you say. Uh, shake the dust off your feet is a testimony. It's just like, I tried, you know, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to go to somebody who wants to hear. Um, now, in our context, if you get, you know, you get in your car, you start to leave, and they call you back, say, well, you know, I, I was kind of mean. I want to hear. Well, go back. That's okay. It's not a permanent thing, but... Sometimes we, s we spend so much time talking to somebody that doesn't want to hear, there might be somebody down the street that does. Let's just let's go for the low-hanging fruit. It's not that hard, right? But this action illustrates the rejection of their message also rejects God's message. That's the key. We get very clear in Luke. Anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me, and anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. So if you're telling a presentation of the gospel, who Jesus is, and people don't like it, ultimately they're rejecting Jesus, not you. 
And always try to do better, I realize that. But that's, so the 12's actions, that's what we're doing. How do they understand the instruction? What do they say in verse 12? He got all his instructions, and what they go out and do? They proclaim that people would repent. That's what they started with. They didn't start with anything else, which is cool. That's where it always starts. You don't start with the miracles. You don't start with the, the anointing and oil and healing. You start with repentance. That's how it, this whole gospel started back in verse 15 of chapter 1 when Jesus opens his mouth for the first time in Mark. This is the main thing. Because the rest of it doesn't make any difference, right? If we go out and heal and drive out demons and make the economy better, and, and not that any of those things are bad, they're good, doesn't make any difference if they don't repent, if they don't have their sins forgiven. That's what Jesus ultimately came for. So these miracles by, and they are miracles, certainly, by these 12, what are they for? They authenticate their apostleship. He gives them authority to do this. Um, we don't see this authority given to anybody else in the Bible. Not directly. Um, but what's the whole reason for that is to point to Jesus' authority and the, his identity. That's what they're trying to get. Uh, how this worked, we're not completely sure. Uh, there's different movies and TV shows that try to show us. I think that's great. You know, you can do your own movie in your mind. You know, how much instruction did they have? Was this a couple weeks or they just said, get out of here? What am I supposed to say? Well, I've been talking for a while. Say what I said. I can see Jesus saying that to him. But I do wonder what it would have been like when you saw somebody who was a leper and you got one of the dis couple of disciples come on and like, got the oil? Well, let's try it. <laughs> I don't know. Well, what was their heart? It, it's interesting. You can do what you want with that, but it did work. Um, and the only reason they could do this is because Jesus gave them authority to. If he wouldn't have, the demons would have went like they did in Acts I don't know who you are. Jesus, I know. But I'm not going anywhere. But they had the authority given to him by that. And the oil that we have here is, is used in the Old Testament as symbolic for God's presence. I don't think, again, and we can uh, debate that, uh, that the oil was magic in, or it had some sort of power within itself. It's anointing oil is the idea of, it's the power from Jesus that makes the difference. You can put oil on things, but if God doesn't want healing to happen, it won't. Um, and that's, I think, the, the communities would have seen that uh, when they went to. So even though Jesus' own hometown rejects him as the Messiah, many are not going to. And that's what we start seeing, right? They don't think he's the Messiah. They don't think he's a true prophet. The apostles obviously do. And so, again, we're looking at through the eyes. I mean, it had to be pretty cool for them to be sent out with the authority to preach repentance and be able to do this stuff. I mean, this, that had to be pretty cool. I'm guessing a few of them got pretty cocky. I know I would have been pretty cocky. I think so. And what is the, what's the temptation? Look at me. Look what I just did. I mean, this was a good sermon. Look what I just did. You know, I always say it's never a good sermon if you don't have good material, right? 
And it is good material because it's God's word. So but we get the first glimpse of the kingdom of heaven, how it's going to spread to the world. It's not going to be Jesus doing it all. It's not going to be just the spirit going out and blowing where he was and get everybody. It's going to come through representatives, his people. And that's, we're just starting to get a glimpse of that as we get into Mark. Let us pray. Fathers, we look at this. What wondrous thing it must have been for these uh, apostles to have this power that Jesus gave them to, that the evil spirits submit to them and the illness being healed. Uh, but they knew that the authority came from you and uh, I'm sure very humble as they got to know your son more and more. May we be the same way when we know anything we do uh, for you that we should uh, thank you for the privilege of giving the gift to do it but always uh, may we remember that it's because of the authority you have and the power you give us to do things that are honoring to you may we just be thankful that you always give us what we need and your scripture shows us truly who you are may we continue to walk through these guys uh, with them to understand Jesus better and better each day amen